Welcome to Education Beat. I'm Ann Vasquez, CEO of EdSource. Two years after schools returned to in-person learning, the state's most recent standardized test scores show disappointingly little improvement. Nearly two-thirds of California students failed to meet math standards for their grade level, and more than half fell short of the standards for English. At the same time, students' mental health is suffering, and absenteeism is soaring. So making that shift requires a lot of support. Those things don't happen without big investments. What can schools and districts do to re-engage students? And how can teachers energize and learn from each other? Here is this week's Education Beat with host Zadie Stavely. When students returned to in-person classes in 2021 at George Washington Elementary School, a lot of them were afraid. Well, there was a lot of fear, uh, a lot of fear in our community of getting sick and, and not being able to come to school. That, that was a legitimate fear. Adalberto Hernandez is the principal of Washington Elementary, which is in Madera Unified near Fresno. He goes by Beto, and he says things gradually got better. Fewer COVID infections, and most kids stopped wearing masks at school, but not all. We had a lot of students continue wearing masks. And so we saw the effect of trauma and isolation become very real at school. Some kids were still wearing masks, not necessarily because they were afraid of getting sick. Beto says it was more they were anxious about being seen, about speaking in the classroom or in front of their classmates. He saw the masks as a symbol of not wanting to open themselves up and show emotions. Beto knew he had to do something. Our calling, our moral imperative is our strong relationships with kids and with each other so that our students, even though they might be wearing a mask, Uh, We see them, we hear them, and they connect with an adult every day. Beto wanted students to feel connected, feel like they belonged, and to have strong relationships with adults. So he began to make a series of intentional changes. The moment our students enter our school, they're greeted with a smile, and they feel welcomed. Before they walk into classrooms, every single teacher, every single adult is welcoming them with a greeting, and they make a connection before they walk into the classroom. Some of that sounds like what happens in a lot of schools. But here's something a little different. School-wide every morning, our students recite a student creed with positive affirmation in English and Spanish. And they start the day not only with a greeting at the door with the teacher, but also with positive affirmations about themselves. I am loved. I am valued. I matter. This is Education Beat getting to the heart of California schools. I'm Zadie Stavely. This week, cultivating a sense of belonging to spark students' enthusiasm for learning. Beto was one of a panel of educators and policy experts that EdSource recently brought together in a roundtable to discuss strategies for re-engaging students after the pandemic. And there was one very strong theme the need for students to feel like they belong at school. My colleague, John Fensterwald, hosted the roundtable. Hi, John. Hello, Zadie. So, John, what are some of the reasons behind these, you know, low test scores or why we haven't completely recovered? Yeah, there are lots of reasons why we're sort of so-called stuck. And that reflects it wasn't simply we had a great hope that coming back out of the pandemic, we'd sort of snap back. But we now have still huge amounts of chronic absenteeism. We have 
documented increases in mental health issues. We have staff shortages, which have affected the ability to just sort of get back to normal. And so we're still feeling the impact of these disruptions that we had during the pandemic. It, it, it's going to take time to work out of that. John, what kinds of things are districts doing to to improve student learning? I know you just, you know, you just moderated this roundtable with folks from different districts and, you know, parent leaders and such. What kind of things are people doing? Well, we had five panelists and I chose them because we wanted to talk about where we are now and some of the problems that we have in getting back to quote normalcy. But I also wanted, I selected the panelists because they're doing interesting and different things, both traditionally to make students feel at home and also in terms of teachers cooperating. And I think in listening to the panelists, the issue really isn't individually teaching skills that they may have lost or perceived to have lost during the pandemic and remote learning. But in fact, the issue is how to re-engage students wherever they are and, and make them feel part of school, a sense of belonging. That phrase was repeated a number of times by panelists. And again, the feeling was that the way to go back to, quote, normalcy and then move beyond it was to deal with the students where they are and understand that school before the pandemic wasn't working for all students either. And so listen to what the students are saying and saying what interests them. And that came uh, very apparent with the principal of George Washington Elementary School in Madeira Unified. John's referring to Beto, who says that efforts to help kids feel more connected to school have paid off. Our school has one of the highest attendance rates um, year after year in, in Madeira. And so, you know, we're, we're in the community with the highest poverty rate in the county, and yet we have the highest attendance rate, uh, even right now. We have the lowest percentage of chronic absenteeism. That says a lot about the climate and culture of the school. The kids want to come to school. And so um, we hear stories all the time that kids get their, get their siblings ready as young as 10 years old. They're responsible for getting their siblings ready and getting to school. And they want to get here on time because they feel like they belong and they don't want to miss out. Beto is also working on making sure teachers feel good about coming to school. That's important because a lot of teachers statewide are feeling really stressed post-pandemic. They're dealing with difficult behaviors and they're stretched really thin. First and foremost, they have to come to work to a safe and supportive environment. Our teachers and students have to feel safe and, and, and supported here at the school every day. Part of making teachers feel safe and supported is making sure the school is working on behavior. And they work with a team of counselors to focus on positive behavior. The entire school works together to make sure our students learn how to behave. And when they don't know how to behave, we really take it seriously when we say we're going to teach them how to behave. We implement alternative discipline and have not suspended a single student for three school years at our, at our school, PK6. But there's something else they're doing at Washington Elementary, too. The school has a grant from the state through the California Collaborative for Educational Excellence. That's a state agency that advises and assists school districts. And they're changing their whole approach to teacher collaboration and intervention to support students who need help. We're in the process right now of um, shifting to this mindset that our students in a particular grade level, they're all our students. That there are four teachers in the grade level, they're responsible for the learning of all the students, not just the students in their own classroom. 
Teachers get time every day to collaborate while students are attending elective classes. And the teachers are looking at data on how kids are doing and then working together to figure out how to better support those kids who need it. We built in intervention blocks, 30 minutes a day for teachers to use and use data to inform small group instruction. And so if they give a common formative assessment that the whole grade level took on a particular day, uh, let's say it was on subtraction, and they see that 25, 30 students are still needing to fill some skill gaps, then the goal is that one or two teachers will take those students during the school day and provide them with targeted intervention regarding the skills they still need to develop to subtract at a high level, for example. Having that extra support for students during the school day rather than after school is important, Beto says. Our students at the end of the school day are very, very tired and spent. And we understand that the best learning time is going to be during the school day. So we're focusing all of our efforts on creating systems that allow our teachers uh, and equip them to provide that intervention during the school day. John, what stood out to you about this work that Beto's school is doing? It's really a community. It's not just a discrete individual class. And that really helps build a sense of cohesion and also helps the teachers know the students individually. And that really helps teachers as well, because one of the aspects that came out during the roundtable was that teachers are feeling really pressured these days, and there's a lot being put on them. And so part of this is to build a sense of camaraderie and a feeling that they're in it together. And it's actually proven well in Washington Elementary, where the teachers actually want to come back to that school year after year. I've actually talked to teachers before in other districts that have been part of, you know, like a summer institute where they actually get time to collaborate, but also really look and analyze um, deeply, like how their students are doing, how they responded to a certain way of teaching, and then discussing what might work better for the student and talking with each other. Um, And they all seem to think that it really works. But I know that there's a lot of challenges to make that happen everywhere. And so I was wondering, do you think it's possible for what Beto is doing in Madeira to be replicated elsewhere? Yeah. Heather Huff of the nonprofit PACE talked about the difficulty in replicating that, in fact, it requires a lot of investment. The capacity and the culture to do what Beto is describing is very different from how a lot of or most schools are organized. So making that shift requires a lot of support. And the initiative that that the school is a part of is a hefty amount of coaching time in order to build those structures, to train everybody in the school on how to do things differently, to build new leadership structures within the school for collaborative problem solving and collaborative leadership. And those aren't easy shifts to make. Those things don't happen without big investments. It's an investment that California has not made. If it's worth replicating, first of all, you have to spread the word that in fact, there's sort of a secret sauce happening in Madeira Unified. And then you have to actually recognize that this is an investment that needs to be done throughout the state. I mean, lots of schools had the so-called professional learning communities in which teachers work together. That sense of collaboration was destroyed because of all the problems that happened during the pandemic. It disrupted the systems within a school. I think the hope is that we can stop and recognize that we need to change how we 
did things before, again, because they weren't working for a lot of kids. And then what they're trying to do in, in districts like San Ramon Valley and Cajon Valley, as well the Anaheim Union School District, which is another one, is really sort of identify qualities that you want to have your students graduate and work for those mindsets throughout school. And so that goes beyond testing, trying to measure these other qualities, which students need to succeed beyond high school, whether it's college or, or through careers. And again, we had a sense of belonging is very critical to have students succeed. In Cajon Valley, our vision is happy kids engaged in healthy relationships on a path to gainful employment. Chris Collins is the data and assessment coordinator in Cajon Valley Union School District. He says the district is focusing on career readiness, figuring out what skills they want all graduates to have, and helping kids think about what their career interests are. We've been conducting focus groups with community members, with families, around what are the skills and mindsets that every Cajon Valley graduate needs in order to thrive in the world of work. And everybody is describing these skills that are needed to be happy, healthy, and gainfully employed. We also work to expose students to career opportunities right from within the region of San Diego and El Cajon by bringing them into the classroom to tell about their job and why they love their job. And that allows students to connect with these professionals who come into the classroom. And that really is a part of the necessary conditions for learning so that way we can continue to focus on reading and math and making sure that students have those world of work skills down and also have a conception of self. Something similar is happening in San Ramon Valley Unified School District. John Malloy is the superintendent there. This one young person said, I've been taught to take tests, but I'm not sure I know how to learn. And that statement has stuck with us, and I've used it everywhere I go. Malloy says they're changing how they define success for kids. So it's not all about doing well on tests. Academic excellence is important. Our kids have to read. Our kids have to be able to communicate in all different forms effectively. Our kids have to be able to do math. And we want to ensure that that is still front of mind. And if kids are thriving, it means that they are true independent learners when they graduate from us. They have a confidence in their ability to think and to create. They have the skills, which are oftentimes back into that social emotional frame to be on teams to communicate effectively. So John, it seems like some districts are trying not to just rush back to quote unquote normalcy, like how things were before the pandemic. And instead they're kind of questioning, you know, how they can do things differently. I, I think that's the goal. And this is a really good time now, even to question how the school is structured, the periods of the day. And when kids are on Chronic, missing for chronic absenteeism. How do you reach those students where they are? How do you understand why it is that they're chronically absent? It could be illness in the family. It could be students feeling they have to work, the older students, but a lot of them because they're not engaged. So what is it that schools need to do to re-engage students? And it's become apparent more so than before the pandemic, that something needs to be done differently. So it's not just working at individual skills of perseverance for individuals. It's sort of redefine the nature of schools and discipline and building that sense of community. As a nonprofit organization, EdSource depends on donations and grants to sustain our quality journalism. 
We rely on listeners like you. Between now and December 31st, EdSource has a goal to raise $100,000 to support our journalism. Make your donation today at edsource.org. John, you just mentioned chronic absenteeism, and one of the participants in the roundtable was Yoli Flores. She's the president and CEO of a nonprofit in L.A. called Families and Schools. And Yoli had a lot to say about the importance of involving parents more, right? Yeah, Yoli said there are a lot of mixed messages that parents are getting. They may not know about their Smarter Balance results, which show that you know one-third of students may be at standard in reading and maybe one out of five in math. But what they're receiving from their report cards is things are okay, things are fine. Every year, Learning Heroes surveys families around the country and asks how they think their kids are doing. And 92% of families say that their kids are on track for reading and math. And the furthest thing, can be true for so many, the majority, especially of low-income, Black, Brown, English learner families. And so they're not getting accurate information and or they don't always know how to interpret the data. There's confusion between what they see from the state. There's confusion from the report cards that generally say that their kids are getting A's and B's, and yet they're not reading at grade level. So what needs to happen is much more clarity and uh, targeted information to families that they can understand of specifically how their children are doing. And what Yoli was saying, particularly for early reading, parents need to be not only engaged, but they need to know how can they get involved? What are the tools that they need to work with kids at home? What is it, the curriculum that it, that is being used and is that... A curriculum which is valid, which is, you know, a science of reading based on evidence. And that particularly now, if we turn to community schools, where in fact, we're supposed to, designed to involve parents, what does it mean to be sharing that power, so to speak, in a school with parents, getting them involved and actually soliciting their views on about what is being taught? Yoli says 50 years of research shows engaging parents pays off. It increases student success. She points to one recent study by the organizations TNTP and Learning Heroes that looked at schools in Illinois. And the findings are pretty dramatic. Those schools that had strong family engagement, provided accurate information, saw parents as equal partners, did much better on attendance, on ELA, and in math. Beto, the principal from Madera, says parent involvement doesn't always have to look exactly the same in every school. We live in a high poverty community. And so we understand that it's challenging for a lot of our parents to volunteer or to be involved when they're trying to put food on the table and a roof over their head. And so it's nice when parents are involved, but in a community like ours, we're not depending on that for student success. We communicate, we involve them, we invite them, and we do events like a calenda, a traditional um, uh, celebration in, in the state of Oaxaca in Mexico. And we had great parent involvement after hours. Uh, but during the school day, it's on us. We focus on what we can control. And so what we can control are our attitudes about our students and believing that they all can learn regardless of their circumstances. At the end of the roundtable, the participants were asked, what's one concrete thing that people can do that will make a difference? 
Here's John Malloy, Beto Hernandez, Yoli Flores, Chris Collins, and Heather Huff. The most concrete strategy that's making the greatest impact is listening to our students, creating the conditions for them to share their voice and their wisdom, whether it's kindergarten or 12th grade, is second to none. And I would say if our instruction is effective and our students are engaged in having joy and relevant learning and project-based learning and learning activities, then they will start to do well and do better on external measures. And I'll say that developing trusting relationships with families um, can take us a long way. I would add investing in relationships and knowing every student and family deeply. What I'll add from a systems perspective for administrators across the state is as we think about structures for supporting educators in schools, for supporting schools across districts, to really be thinking about that student-centeredness and how we organize our investments, our professional learning, everything around making sure that every single student is being taught and reaching the milestones that they need to for being able to thrive. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Education Beat, getting to the heart of California schools, a production of EdSource. You can watch the roundtable discussion and read about it at edsource.org. You can also find John's story about 2023 test scores there. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Special thanks to our guests, Adalberto Hernandez, John Malloy, Yoli Flores, Chris Collins, and Heather Huff. And of course, to our reporter, John Fensterwald. Our CEO is Anne Vasquez. Our theme music is from Blue Dot Sessions. This episode was brought to you by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I'm Zadie Stavely. Join us next week and subscribe so you won't miss an episode.